0: good morning. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen on this 20th day of May. Um, so it's commencement season. If you have not yet been to a graduation this spring, you know what? You should go to one. You should go to one. It is encouraging. It's a good reminder um, of uh, youthfulness and opportunity and accomplishment. Uh, it'll just trust me. Just just go to a commencement Um A graduation ceremony, a commencement service, listen to a commencement address. If given the opportunity, what would you say to 2021 graduating seniors? So you could pick them. You pick uh, high school or college, kindergarten if necessary, if you feel like that's more your crowd. What would you say to them in a commencement address? Now, keep in mind, it needs to not be a downer Debbie, right? It's got to be encouraging, um, it's got to be forward looking. But I think it also in these days has to be pretty sober. Um, so I was reading a commencement address by Ryan T. Anderson, who now heads up the Ethics uh, Public Policy Center in Washington, D.C., but you may also know him from his work at Heritage Foundation or as the author of books like When Harry Became Sally. Um, uh, he, um, he offered a commencement address recently, and it is now posted at publicdiscourse.com. There's a lot in here about courage. There's a lot in here about serious thinking, being seriously minded. Um, And so, uh, and the role of not only faith, but reason in our common life. He ultimately calls the graduates to courage and points them to models of courage. And so, you know, who would those models of courage be to whom we could direct the attention um, of students today? And and when I'm talking about courage, you know, I'm talking about moral courage, who are the people of moral courage that you could point to today um, and say to young people, grow into that, grow up into that. Um, so in preparation for my conversation with Dr. Peter Kapsner, which is happening next, <clears throat> I tee this up for you. Among other things, today is National Be a Millionaire Day. Does it surprise you that in the United States of America, we have a national Be a Millionaire Day? It's apparently a, an awareness campaign. Um, I can't imagine that being a millionaire, people who are millionaires need an awareness campaign, nor that fomenting a desire to be a millionaire needs a needs a campaign day. But nonetheless, today is it. So it made me think about the show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire?, which made me think about the lifelines and the concept of lifelines um, and so, you know, who's your lifeline and in whom do you find, um, find your value? And maybe uh, National Be a Millionaire Day gives us an opportunity as Christians to embrace the reality of the inheritance that awaits us. We are co-heirs with Christ, and we are the beneficiaries of every spiritual blessing poured out from the Father above into our lives right now. Um, so we are blessed So maybe this, for us, could be National uh, Blessed to be a Blessing Day, while the world calls it National Be a Millionaire Day. Anyway, we're going to phone a friend. His name is Dr. Peter Kapsner. Let's see if he answers when we come back. Dr. Peter Kapsner joins me now. We're going to talk about, hmm, we're going to talk about blessed be the tie that binds or the ball and chain or I don't know. We're going to talk about commitment and we're going to talk about a story that hmm, is a little bit strange. Peter, welcome back. Are you a millionaire? Yeah. Maybe that's what I'm supposed you know, to start off with today. Is <laughs> today your day? I, National Be a Millionaire Day.
1: Decidedly- yeah, I have, I have no reason to celebrate today. I am decidedly not uh, a millionaire, though. I'm curious if you were on the show, A, you, you would crush it on who wants to be a millionaire. Number one. Number two, I'm wondering if I would make the cut as one of your three phone friends that, that you would uh, otherwise have. And, and and maybe that's a vulnerable question to do live on air. Right. But but I'm just wondering, would I be uh, one of the three, Carmen? One of so the three. Here's
0: what is so here's what is so sad. You've now like ruined the joke because we were going to um, basically ask you that question going into the break and then paul was going to play a busy signal
1: oh, oh, oh. See, oh gosh i'm glad oh now you it. it. Yeah. I could have done it... something you could have worked it yeah, you know can't do that uh, yeah. Yeah. oh gosh i'm glad i was able to avoid that one although the two of you <laughs> this is i come in very wary at this hour on any thursday morning because of the two of you
0: <laughs> yeah we love you i mean we genuinely love genuinely love you okay so <clears throat> we have this couple in the ukraine uh, she is 28. He is 33. They have literally chained themselves together. It's a, a, a soldered chain. They've chained themselves together. Their commitment is to remain chained together until their wedding. However, as you read in the article, um, not only have they not set a wedding date, they're actually not even engaged.
1: Yeah, it's quite the article, isn't it? And and so they did, they they welded uh soldered those chain links together. They actually had somebody from the National Registry of Ukraine come and put a, a some sort of seal on it to prove that they were going to stay welded together this entire time that they didn't take the chains off. They literally can't take them off unless the emergency services steps in and and removes them. However you would <laughs> remove welded together chain links. And the idea is is that they they just uh, set a, a world record, some sort of world record for being chained together for the longest time. There's a lot of different directions we could go with this one, Carmen. For for them, it seems like they are doing what many young people are doing this, the, these days, and it's trying to actually become a millionaire by becoming mm-hmm. a social influencer of some sort out on social media. I think I really underestimated until my kids started getting a little bit older. Uh, my son Caleb is 21 and my my daughter Anna is 19. They are not social media hounds. They're not out there on Facebook, Instagram, all of these, and and TikTok, these channels. But they are deeply impacted by them. And there is a massive industry that even some of our main companies around our country are starting to tap into to have social media influencers. And people are just trying to figure out how to raise money. That's what they allegedly we're doing it for just that reason. They want to raise $3 million by selling the chains once they take them off. It's it's a really fascinating thing. But boy, oh boy, there's a lot in all of this that we could swim in.
0: So I think that for Christians, you know, the the reality of um, the chains born by Paul um, in prison uh, in Philippians chapter one, like I think there's a conversation to be had here um, about real suffering. Um, you know, I think that for the uh, for their for us to suggest that there's a world record for how long people have been chained together and that these people are winning it absolutely ignores the um, the profound reality um, of the of the bondage in which people not only have lived over the course of human history but are living right now. Um, I imagine that people who whose um, ancestors were chained. Um, into the holds of ships um, for weeks on end um, have something to say about this kind of public ridiculousness. I don't know any other way to say it. Um, And so I think that there's a sobriety, and I think that's one of the things that you're highlighting, right? There's a sobriety that needs to happen when we read a headline like this um, and when the world goes after it. So, I and, and you know, and then I think there's, you know, th- there are conversations about what makes for a healthy relationship. Um, you know, is this what God intends? Does this look like legitimate preparation for marriage uh, to you as a person who talks about these things a lot?
1: Yeah, I, boy, you, you said a lot of things and there that are so important. And it called to mind that just last night I had the opportunity to have dinner with my family and uh, my parents and Raleigh and Paulette Washington. Raleigh and Paulette uh, are probably... The, they were alive during the Jim Crow segregation era uh, as young children. And they cracked open just last night, actually, and talked about what life was like in both Florida and North Carolina for them having to drink from different water fountains and uh, having to ride different buses and having uh, the bus accelerate if they were just even two seconds late out the door for school and, and the bus would sort of leave them behind and just all of that. So you talk about the heritage and the sobriety of that and and the pain that people have felt uh, over this sort of thing generationally, and then they talked beautifully about a heart of forgiveness and, and what it meant to to stand in front of some of the oppressors and forgive and, and they were just it was just story after story and the point of that Carmen is I think when when I see what 's going on within social media without being all old man in the yard about it, uh, but in terms of the things that young people are often attending to there 's so much drivel out there there 's just so much sort of time wasting escapism that 's going on and, and where I sympathize with young people is there is a general sense of hopelessness into the future you, you were talking about the commencement address of Ryan T. Anderson and commencements that are happening all around institutions in our country and and there are very different kinds of commencements that have to happen now versus when our generation was was coming through school because the future does seem. To, to many young people, relatively hopeless. We we had a young man come by our house yesterday just simply trying to sell pest control items, and, and I said, you know, I'm so sorry, we're not in need of these sorts of things, but I completely sympathize and respect that you're trying. He's like, I'm just trying to put one foot in front of the other. and And so when I say all of that, there's this whole social media world that really is this place of escapism where young people can kind of fritter away the days very often because they don't really know so many of them. And there's many unbelievably lovely young people that are incredibly motivated driven grounded all of that too so this is you know we got to be careful to make blanket statements here i'm just saying what characterizes the next generation and, and i would say that historians in the future might look back and say this generation couldn't see the future as easily and readily as generations have passed and they begin to escape in these other ways and even just try to make income going out on social media because they don't know where else to go there's no story there's they're just fragmented it's i, I don't think we can underestimate the epidemic coming spiritually and sociologically in our country, we're already on the front end of it. And I think, Carmen, I think it's just beginning. And, and this couple on <laughs> trying to make a way, chaining themselves together. Oh, What you said, is just there, there's so much there that is just so problematic.
0: They are getting uh, tired of being uh, bound to one another. They're getting weary of one another 24-7 together. Um, one of us wants to be here. The other does not. <laughs>
1: That's surprising that they would get tired of each other, doesn't it? I mean that i like, can you make no ti- person... I'm I mean, already
0: I, I'm already tired.
1: And Yeah, I know I I love Paul Perot. But but three months of being Jane you know, with with him playing music and coming out with great oh there's just there's no way. I mean, right, Paul?
0: Uh, okay, you could, so that, you could have uh, a lot worse, trust me. That's
1: exactly <laughs> yeah. right. That's exactly right.
0: Okay, so we're gonna um take a very brief break. When we come back, uh Peter Capster and I are going to talk about pilgrimage. There's a reason we're talking about this, but we're going to talk about uh, the nature of the Christian life as pilgrims and also the distinct experience of particular pilgrimages. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, on this National Be a Millionaire Day, we have Dr. Peter Kapsner on. I'm going to take a 50-50 shot here and ask him a question. And if he, um, you know, I don't know. We could always ask the audience.
1: Oh, I love that idea.
0: That's another That's another lifeline option. Ask the audience. There you go. There you go. Hey, you guys can always chime in on the text line, 877-933-2484. Um, we have heard today from... Uh, Reverend Dr. Castro, who answered my earlier question about commencement addresses, uh, and he says, in my presentation, I am sharing uh, for the church to thrive in the 21st century, we have to have four traits, hope, courage, trust, and truth. There you go. All
1: right. I like that. I like that. I know. I do too.
0: Okay. Let's talk about um, uh, pilgrimage. You and I both read um, this piece from the BBC. Uh, about pilgrims flocking to the French Sanctuary of Lourdes online in the millions. Um, so first of all, have you ever been there? Um, and uh, and then let's just talk about pilgrimage. And can you go there digitally?
1: Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? It's in France. It's in Lourdes, France. I have been to France a couple of different times, but never there. And, and uh, it's the site of a Supposed healing being done by a um, of a young woman in about 1848, I think it was, where there was an appearance of the Virgin Mary, at least as the story goes, and so that's become a a incredibly holy site for people of the Catholic faith to go where this happened, and and uh, and so, yeah, I I haven't done a a proper pilgrimage, I suppose per se, although I had a chance to study in Israel for about three and a half weeks, and. um, and, and so the difference between being physically present in sort of this pilgrimage, and that felt like a pilgrimage to me as I visited the Garden of Gethsemane and the olive trees that have been there for several thousand years would have been the same ones that Jesus sat under, and the, the steps down which Peter ran after he denied Jesus, or sitting on the shores of Galilee, uh, swimming in the Dead Sea, all of these things, being actually in the physical kinesthetic space of something is really different than participating at, uh, virtually online. I don't think you can enter into the fullness of a pilgrimage. And, and Carmen, I think the point of a pilgrimage, right, is to sort of set everything aside and and almost sort of in a Sabbath way begin to travel and and, and focus on all of the unknowns that are going to be in front of you in this pilgrimage. And as you're sort of shepherded along the way, by God. And, and that's why Pilgrim's Progress is such an incredibly profound story, right? I mean, it's the story of an entire life of pilgrimage that starts in the city of destruction and ends in the celestial city and, and sets out life as one big pilgrimage where we're not actually in a home that belongs to us right now. We're waiting for our home to come when the great reconciliation happens. So I think pilgrimages are really important because I look back at 30 years from now and it's still made a deep impact on my soul to have walked the land of Israel and to be physically present. So I I sympathize in this time of the pandemic that many people who want to make a pilgrimage according to their faith can't and maybe can try to do it virtually. But I think it sanitizes the experience entirely and you kind of step away from your computer then after an hour or two or three and you go back kind of whatever you to what you're doing. When you're on a proper pilgrimage, you can't just go back to what you were doing three hours previous. You have to keep putting one foot in front of the other, stepping forward into it. And I do think there are ways that Christians can do responsible pilgrimages that are really helpful on a number of levels to kind of wake us up out of the fog that we often find ourselves in in sort of the 24-7, 40-hour-a-week uh, way of life. And, and if we can get away from that for maybe in a couple of weeks, super worthwhile.
0: So some of the conversation in this article is about the annual nature of people going to this particular place. And, you know, obviously right. the uh, the the economic impact of COVID on the community, where there are not 450,000 people going to this one little town in France um, uh, every year. Um, but I thought that the, the conversation about pilgrimage, you know, I, maybe for a lot of Americans, you know, there's sort of the go west, young man, or go find yourself kinds of conversations. But in other parts of the world, pilgrimage is and a really important and significant part of the rhythm of what's happening religiously uh i yep. mean certainly in islam the hajj is one of it's one of the five pillars of islam right it's a mandatory yes. religious duty for muslims it must be carried out once in a lifetime um in and, and we know uh from our own study of of the old testament like right and and in the new testament jews are still making pilgrimages to jerusalem at passover and uh yep. And, and 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 so i think for christians when we talk about pilgrimage there are sometimes these these sites lords france being one of them um where people imagine things are happening that you know it's not like making a pilgrimage to Jer- to jerusalem and wanting to walk where jesus walked these are other sites around the world where um people have attached a religious meaning Um, And so I just I I, one of the reasons I wanted to highlight it is let's be careful what kinds of physical spaces and places we are endowing um, or imagining are endowed with some sort of supra spiritual significance. And let's be sure we are people of the cross um, and who recognize that we can enter the very throne room of the living God by the power of the Holy Spirit because of what Christ did for us on that cross. Um and yeah, that, I, that's really the pilgrimage, right every you know in prayer is. into the presence of God
1: I, I think you just nailed it right Carmen I think uh, the kind of pilgrimage pilgrimages is about which we can read and and you mentioned the one in Islam, you mentioned this one in Lord's France and they become idolatrous so quickly. it's one thing to want to walk where Jesus walked as he said, but it's another thing to substitute the ongoing dynamic relationship with a very real though mysterious God who in, in whose presence we find ourselves all day long I mean we can actually engage in pilgrimage in in the midst of our seven-day-a-week life without actually going somewhere. I do think getting out of physical space really can matter as sort of a Sabbath version of pilgrimage, but you and I and Paul, all of our listeners, to, as soon as we try to make our home in this world, we are already going to be confused. Um, the, the scriptures are very clear that we are strangers in a strange land. And so we are pilgriming, I suppose you could say it that way, all throughout the course of our life. Everything in front of us is one great unknown all the time, no matter if it's in our calendar or not, it still is unknown about what's going to happen in the next hour. And so we can lean into the presence of God made possible in in a unique way because of the events of the cross and the tomb in which we pilgrim, even, even if we don't go anywhere. I think we have to understand ourselves that way. And so many things will start falling into place when we have that as a foundation stone.
0: Pilgriming all the way home to the celestial city where awaits for us an inheritance better than being a millionaire how do you like that for it wrapping is. it all up together that
1: was good but you still have not answered my question if i would be one of your three <laughs> and and i again, understand hold that. that when i get yeah when hey, i get to jeopardy yeah i can't do it so
0: i would only ask a friend to sit in for me as the host of this show while i'm on vacation how's that sound
1: that affair that, that that is a good enough non-answer for me today. I will take that mm-hmm. to heart. <laughs>
0: hey, Peter's gonna be um hosting the program for a couple of weeks in June while I'm on vacation because he is a real friend. Hey, thanks man so much.
1: So much to hang with you. I so much fun to hang with you, Carmen. Love it.
0: Likewise. We gotta take a break for breakpoint. Two words. Lung cancer. What follows? Well once you catch your breath and you breathe, we're going to talk with Mary Negley about uh, demonstrating how we can navigate and live by faith in the midst of cancer anxiety. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
2: This is Max Locato. D.L. Moody was one of the most influential Christians of his generation. He led thousands of people to faith, and established many institutions of education and training. He was famous for saying, right now I'm having so much trouble with D.L. Moody that I don't have time to find fault with the other fellow. Yeah, there is time to speak up, but before you do, check your motives. The goal is to help, never to hurt. Look at yourself before you look down on others. Rather than put them in their place, put yourself in their place. The truth is we all drop the ball on occasion, So shouldn't we bear with one another? The clear majority of details in the world are simply that small stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff. And you won't sweat much at all. Life is too precious and brief to be spent in a huff. This is Max Locato. And this is How Happiness Happens.
0: Mary Nagley has been my friend for a long time. Um, she is a pastor, and she is now the author of "Deep Breathing: Finding Calm Amid the Cancer Anxiety." Mary, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, so let me um, let me ask about today. Um, what, what is happening today? Is today ordinary uh, time? Or is today cancer time?
3: Uh, Today is, uh, hmm, that's a good question, Uh, because uh, in the last six months, I have been dealing with breast cancer after seven years of being cancer-free from the lung cancer. So um, I would say that I'm in, I'm past Lent, I'm, uh, I would say I'm close to Easter, maybe Holy Saturday. (laughs)
0: <laughs> mm. Amen. Oh, and we're so we're waiting. That's good. That's we're good. We're, yeah, we're we're anticipating we're resurrection.
3: Yes, yes. We're just mm-hmm. about. I'm, I'm out of the woods, and uh, I'm. Uh, there's a post care thing that's going on, uh, causing some uh, side effects and stuff. So once I kind of get out of that mess, I'll be fine. I and I am healthy now. So, amen. Cancer free. Yeah.
0: Amen. Amen. So, so this is part of the reason, right, that I, I mean, I want to talk with you because the book Deep Breathing is so good, but also because you have actually just borne witness to a couple of things that the book highlights. Um, mm-hmm. One of those is a cancer diagnosis is not a death sentence. Um, and it can be a, a a really interesting come to Jesus experience. You've also just demonstrated Um, One of the of the patterns that is offered in the book, which is uh, walking us through uh, sort of the rhythm of the Christian calendar, Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent and Easter, and using those as a way to sort of provide a structure um, in in terms of your own experience of cancer. So talk with us a little bit about um, uh, about that
3: yeah you know it's it kind of unfolded first of all uh it's been that uh, an awareness of the church year has been a part of my life since childhood, so it's like breathing to me what what time of the year are we in is always very much at the top of my thoughts and when I got sick seven years ago uh, i I basically with I had to withdraw from day to day activities that would have reminded me and reinforced that uh, I my diagnosis occurred about Halloween and I had very heavy duty treatment all the way right up to Christmas Christmas Eve in fact so uh, you know one is tempted to say well there was no Christmas in my house that year but in fact part of my spiritual discipline in this early morning journal time (laughs) uh, every day was to to anchor myself in what I knew. And what I knew came out of this annual rehearsal of the important um, events in Jesus' life and in the life of the church, uh, so that I could feel a part of what was happening even though physically I couldn't be at church, let's say. And uh, so uh, at the beginning, you know, Advent is this time of waiting and oh my gosh, that's all you do when you first start when the shark starts showing up on the horizon of your life, you you're waiting to find out what's going on. And you sit in waiting rooms and you you wait for test results. And I always had tests on Thursday that would come back on Monday. So I got so I hated weekends because I was always waiting for test results. Uh and then once uh what once the foe was known, then um There's that period of discipline showing up every day for treatment and waiting uh, for uh, news. And the interesting thing was what gave me the idea to structure the book um, out of these journals along the church year lines was that my first really big gift was on Christmas Eve meeting with my surgeon who said, okay, all this treatment you've had the last two months, which was chemo and radiation at the same time. All that treatment is working your tumor has shrunk by two-thirds in volume and it's shrunk in the right direction so now I can operate on it Mm. and so I experienced Christmas with that huge gift um, and uh, and then just walked through that uh, over the next few months uh, The following Epiphany comes Lent and I you know there was a period of time I didn't know whether I would survive the illness. Um, you know, the the survival rate for people with that kind of cancer is 17%. And um so I had to think about actually dying. And it was a good thing to do. Uh I think everybody should actually th- think more about that because the anxiety that piles up in us really has to do with anxiety about dying when you when everything is simplified that's the issue and for the christian you know the question is will i survive death and the answer is yes even in death i live uh there's there's safety even in danger because no matter what's going on, Jesus is carrying me through that. So, so the church year just helped me stay anchored in the the reality of that. And of course, Good Friday, Holy Week, and Good Friday, and then Easter, all affirm what we know uh, in our faith. Uh, and it, it becomes extremely relevant when you have a life threatening illness to remember those things.
0: So, I'm talking with Mary Nagley. Um, and she is a cancer survivor who is dealing with cancer again. I want to read a paragraph um, from the foreword of uh, of her book. Her book is Deep Breathing, Finding Calm Amid the Cancer Anxiety. This uh, foreword is written by Judy Negley. Um, uh, Mary, who is Judy and how old is she?
3: Uh, let's see. She is 38 now. Uh, she was uh, seven years younger 31, when uh, I was going through all of this. And uh, she is married and lives up in Seattle.
0: And is your daughter?
3: Yes, she's my daughter. Yeah.
0: So let me read this. Uh, This is the walk-off paragraph in the foreword from Judy. Dealing with cancer, whether as a patient, a caregiver, or a faraway family member, is not for the faint of heart. Uh, It can feel at times like the world is ending. When I found out my mother had cancer, I fell apart. But because of my mother's intention to rely on God through it all, I was able to follow her lead and find my own calm, curiosity, and courage for the journey with God's help. I hope by taking time with this book, you will find yours too. We're going to take a little more time with Mary Negley uh, right after the break. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Mary Negley, she is, among other things, the author of Deep Breathing, Finding Calm Amid the Cancer Anxiety. Um, Mary, let's talk about um, what you learned uh, in, in the first round, um, and maybe what you're learning even now um, about God, about yourself, about family, work, priorities. What do you want to share with people who may be dealing with an relatively new cancer diagnosis or an ongoing cancer experience in their life.
3: Right. And I just want to mention, uh, we could just as easily have called this book, Finding Calm Amid COVID Anxiety. You know, the mm-hmm. dynamics are pretty much the same. Um, I think what I learned, uh, there, there are lots of things I learned day by day, and those are are what the book is, is what I'm learning, what I'm rehearsing in my mind. But uh, one of the things in now retrospect is that I learned is that that now is the time in anybody's life to dig deep and set those roots down in the Lord and God's word. Um, And I say that because the time you at the moment you find out something horrific is happening to you, that's when that floor needs to be beneath your feet, and it takes a while to build it. Um, I uh, went into this seven years ago uh, with um, a good track record with God. I mean, uh, I knew before that point that God uh, was able and God was big and God was loving me no matter what. Uh, and, And so when this happened to me, my questions weren't, questioning God. um, I I momentarily asked, why me? (laughs) You know, you can't help but say that. Wait, wait, wait. I can't. This is coming out from left field. Where does this come from? But very quickly, because of a lifetime of dealing with much smaller stuff in faith, my question turned around to be, whoa, Lord, what do you want to teach me now? Or what ministry do you have for me now? And so one of the things that I learned is that you're a person, a, a believer is always in ministry. And and not just because I'm a professional, you know, what I mean, Carmen, uh, every person has a ministry because God has placed each one of us in this world to give light, the Lord's light to others. Um, but um, it doesn't matter. It, it, you are the one who's carrying the spirit of God within you, regardless of your circumstances. So I just had a new um, group of people to whom I was ministering. My new friends became the people who were in the chemo uh, infusion center with me, uh, the medical staff and, uh, you know, the the myriad individuals who uh, wanted to know what was happening and and were helping me day by day. That was my new ministry. I just had a reassignment of duty that has really helped me because now I can be a whole lot more flexible in life. I don't have to think, Oh, I'm only doing ministry. If I'm writing my book, my next book, or I'm only doing ministry if I'm preaching in front of a a congregation. No, that's not the case at all. I've Mm -hmm. learned here we are. Okay. Okay. What does the Lord want to have me do today to honor him, give glory to him and proclaim the gospel? So that was that was probably one of the biggest lessons. I also learned that no matter how dire the prognosis, I can live and I get to choose how I'm going to be in that living Since then, I've become a hospital chaplain, and I have these remarkable conversations with people. Uh, One day, I had two people with basically the same diagnosis, the same situation, same age, everything. One lady was bitter and complaining, and nothing was going right, and she was not getting better. The lady in the room next door, with an extremely similar story, was thankful and grateful and gracious and open, and she was getting better. And and you go okay, what kind of person do I want to be? I want to be like that second lady. Those choices are always before us. And I learned that from it. So there's a couple of lessons. I learned tons of things.
0: Well, I learned a lot um, from reading deep breathing and you know, full disclosure here. I highly commend uh, this book, um, and and when you get a copy and you open it up, um, you'll see that. Um, yeah. Mary, one of the things that I uh, that I love and appreciate is um, what an excellent resource this is. Not just for people who are experiencing a cancer diagnosis and the anxieties related to that themselves, um, but as you have just described for anybody that is experiencing the anxiety that is related to, um, you know, an unwelcome reality in life. This is also a really great resource for pastors or caregivers or medical professionals who want to understand and want some insight into the patient's experience. Because you really do, you're you're so candid and vulnerable. Um, And I guess I just want to ask, like, was that hard to be just so suddenly out there about some stuff that we might otherwise consider really personal?
3: Yes. Uh, I mean, no, I guess (laughs) uh, there's there's two iterations of this. Uh, When I was writing in my journal, I was trying to keep track of all the facts. Um, And as I was collating all of that into the book, uh, which had to be whittled down by half with all the material that I had, Um, my dear friend who has gone through cancer, who read the book, said, Mary, tell me how you feel. Tell me how you feel. And so I had to go back and think, okay, what was I feeling then? And that's, I'm a, you know, on the Myers-Briggs, I'm an off the map thinker, right? So I had to put into words, certainly I was feeling stuff. Um, But, uh, and, and some people actually including my daughters right at the beginning, couldn't believe that I was as upbeat as I was and questioned whether that was just sort of a sham on the phone. And it wasn't until they saw me that Thanksgiving saw the saw my eyes and saw me and they said, "Okay, you are upbeat about this. Okay, I believe you. And so uh, uh, but sharing all the details came easily because I'm a teacher at heart. And one of my objectives was to demystify the disease. There's a lot of stigma attached to lung cancer. Um, There aren't a lot of survivors. There are not a lot of survivor stories out there, although that's changing hugely. And um, I just wanted people to know um, what it's like so that they can uh, derive some encouragement, but also they could share with others um, other ways of looking at a dire, uh, diagnosis. And that, that I think is happening, you know, based on feedback I'm getting from people reading the book, people who aren't sick, for instance, are, are something they latch onto it and it becomes, a something life-changing for them. And, uh, because we're all really dealing with some kind of anxiety
0: yeah, absolutely, um, yeah. Mary. Thank you so very much. Um, and let me just say to listeners: Yes, those of you who are texting in, yes, yes, yes. I have books to give away today. Um, so, if you would like to enter the drawing for the copies of *Deep Breathing: Finding Calm Amid the Cancer Anxiety* by Mary Negley, just text the word "book" to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. It is a great companion for the journey. If you uh, have experienced a cancer diagnosis, it is a great companion for the journey um, if you are walking with one of the 1.9 million Americans who are gonna receive a cancer diagnosis in this year, or the millions um, who now live um, as cancer survivors. You better understand their experience as well. Mary, um, thank you so very much. Blessings upon you in this portion of, of the what what are we doing? We're doing the Saturday of of Easter weekend in terms of the yes, cancer experience you're now having.
3: Yes, but and and Easter's coming. Amen. Remember, Easter is coming. Thanks, Carmen. It's great Amen. to talk.
0: Thank you, you, Mary. Um, all right, friends. So again, if you want to enter the drawing for the copies of Deep Breathing: Finding Calm Amid the Cancer Anxiety, just text the word "book" to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. So. Mary uh, and I go a long way back, and she is a precious and dear friend. And so um, thank you for praying with me for her and others like her who are in the midst of cancer treatments right now. And let us be the people who declare that Easter is coming, that newness of life is possible, um, that suffering is real, that we are people who are able to endure it, and that when life squeezes us, let us be the people... um, from whom the word of God pours forth. Let us be people who are full of grace and truth in the spirit of Christ. All right, uh, go forward in his name. You are blessed to be a blessing. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.